All right, good morning, New Vintage. How you doing today? Another great uh, average week here in the United States of America in 2020. Uh, but you came out today to worship the Lord, and I want to say thank you for doing that. If you get a chance to stick around for the gospel brunch after the fact, uh, the brunch is full, but the concert itself will get you in for 10 bucks. Uh, they sound checked in here. It was amazing. Okay, so come back. Uh, we would love to have you here. Uh, we're going to have some church in here uh, this afternoon. So come on back. Um, I got a, a promise of God for you today that I hope is going to be a blessing to you. If you're in Christ then you're in the church. If you're in the church, then you're strong. I mean, you may not feel strong, but you are. Uh, you may not feel like right now the church is victorious, uh, whether it's here in Escondido or beyond or, or whatever. We're winning, though. We're winning. Well, we have this little thing we've called the Grand Project. Uh, there was a particular path, and by the way, there are a few people in the room that I, I want to point out. Just raise your hands when I do. Uh, there's some folks from the Solomon Foundation right in this section. I can't see you real well because of the spots, but Doug and Julie Crozier and Bill and Shelly Shalkowski, and then uh, raise your hands. They helped us pay for this, so that's, we love them. They're great. Uh, somewhere in the back um, is uh, Josh Felix, who's the architect here, and he's here with us today in the back, yeah. Okay, these are people of great courage. So we're going to talk about courage today. Jesus looks at his uh, disciples today. He asks them who they think he is. They say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he goes on and with one small stroke, uh, I would say of a pen, but he wasn't using a pen. He was using his mouth. He breathed into them the breath of life. I mean, just the kind of thing that makes you get up and say, you know what, we can do almost anything. Because Jesus Christ can do anything. The Grand Project, I have the, this was the uh, projected timeline here. Um, now this is, when, when I was standing across the street in that gazebo at the little park, this is, in my mind, this is what the timeline looked like. You have December 2017, the dream is born. December 2018, the amazing unanimous city council vote in the rain uh, and everything. It was a Mr. Mr. Smith goes to Washington moment for our church. You know, it was outstanding and great. And then we thought, all right, one year left and we're going to be in. Just boom, boom, boom. Well, I have for you the slide, which was actually what happened. Um, we'll put that up now. Uh, you can see... <laughs> that uh, <laughs> from dreaming uh, to, the, to the vote, the city council vote, to the wilderness, then backward and forward, meandering all around, and then you throw in COVID-19, once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. It happens to be an election year. We had all the, the uh, racial tensions that, 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 that bubbled up in our society uh, very, during a very difficult time. And so the question would be, um, are you going to finish are you going to finish? If it takes too long, are you going to finish? If it gets discouraging, are you going to finish? Are you still going to believe that the dream that God bore in you, that he will bring that to completion? Or is that a slogan for you? Well, here I want to just suggest to you that more at any point in my lifetime, the church is needed. Not just the church or the bumper stickers and the refrigerator magnets and the little cross necklaces and that kind of stuff. Not just that stuff. I'm talking about the real thing. The real thing. Terrible as an army with banners. The one that makes hell tremble. That one. That real church. 
A church willing to go where they're sent to stay strong when other people despair and, and turn back. A church willing to love with the depth of the love of Christ and the breadth of the love of Christ and to fight like eternity itself is at stake. I remember when I was a kid, maybe six, seven years old, I remember the coach coming to me for the very first time and he said, Timmy, I told you how old I was, do you want to play catcher? And I said, no. Why not? Because catchers get hit with the ball. That hurts. No, it really didn't hurt that much. I said, well, the ball hit that kid who was playing catcher and he cried. That tells me it hurts. Therefore, I don't want to do it. And he said, well, we'll give you some protection. I said, yeah, he was, he was wearing that, that too. And he got hit by a part that wasn't covered and he cried and it hurt. And he said, that's okay. Nothing that really hurts, like will really hurt you in the long run is going to happen. You can go ahead and do it. So I put it on and sure enough, I, I mean, within half an inning or something, I'd already taken one off the arm and was all, you know, sulky like, like six, seven-year-old boys do because it's stinking hurt. But when he gives you the gear, you can already look and say, this man is a liar because I wouldn't need a helmet if the ball wasn't going to hit me in the head or couldn't hit me in the head. I wouldn't need a chest protector. I wouldn't need shin guards. I wouldn't need any of that stuff if, in fact, I wasn't going to get hit by the ball. Now, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, at the end, hands out catcher's gear to the church, except it's battle armor. And he says, hey, here you go. Helmet, sword, shield, belt. This is all battle stuff. This is the gear that says you're going to get hit. You are going into a battle. If I up here on the stage, if I had you come here, and I said, here's a tutu and some ballet slippers, cue the music, you know it's dancing time, right? Uh, if you come to my house, you sit in our dining room, uh, you, you smell the food in the kitchen, and here's a napkin and a fork and a spoon and all that, you know we're supposed to be eating, right? When God says what he says to the church there at Ephesus through Paul, that lets us know that what we're doing is anything but safe. It's not safe. Now, being cautious and things like that is more for times like temptation and things like that. But not mission, not mission. Mission is a battle. Mission is a war. So when the apostles are here and Jesus in the middle of all of this says to them, look, on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We're going to read it here in just a moment. Gates don't run after people. They don't fire things at people. They're stagnant. They stay. The church is the one who's pictured as advancing against the gates. So the church is not a group of people who stand back and they let things happen to them. Try not to get hurt. They're people who charge the gates of hell. And he says, when you do, when you go up, you don't, you don't politely take the little door knocker and go, knock, knock. Church here. He says, no, 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 the gates can't prevail against you. It's a charging, advancing church. Now, if you're like me, you look around, you see the world today, you see the different things going on, you see the way that uh, sometimes the church seems to be on the ropes, then maybe, maybe it's easy to kind of doubt that or say, okay, well, maybe God took a time out on that particular promise that he would build his church and that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. Or we can take a look at it a different way and we can say, hey, you know what? Maybe this is all part of the battle. And maybe the answer isn't for us to try to be more safe, be more cautious in everything that we do. But when it comes to mission, no, 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 no. We are going to have the boldness of Jesus alive and burning, the resilience that only God can provide in the spirit of power, love, self-discipline, the same 
Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead that now lives in us is going to lead us. And we're going to lean into that. We're not going to be afraid. And if hell wants to take us on, bring it, we say, right? Amen, amen. So here we go. Uh, we're off and running. I want to say this to you before we get going. We'll be in Matthew 16. It, when he addresses his apostles, he makes that promise. We're looking at the, at the promises of God. This one right here, the promises of God, that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're going to bring it up to the, the current time. Jesus built his church and we are stronger than hell, literally. Now, I'm not going to say literally through the whole sermon. I hope you know what I'm saying there. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're stronger than hell. So if you have an eight-year-old or something with you, you can explain it to them or I'll explain it to them right now. What it means is we're stronger than hell is. So when you hear me say that, that's what we mean, all right? The story begins in Caesarea Philippi. It used to be called Bonius or Pontius. It was named after the god Pan, who was a, had a head of a guy and a goat body. God of the wilderness, the barren places. So they used to think that Pan was the one who determined what went on out there in the wilderness. Caesarea Philippi then, it, well, Bonius was renamed to Caesarea Philippi after Caesar, right? And Philip, the Tetrarch. So now it's named after um, politicians. And as is the case often, politicians really do like admiration. We see this throughout the scriptures. We see it all the time today. But here it was an, an actual object of worship issue. Archaeologists that dug up artifacts from that time, they discovered coins depicting a temple to Caesar, Caesar worship, in fact, and a cave that was dedicated to Pan. So here's Jesus. He walks in with his uh, disciples, and here's what happens. It says, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. He's like, great, I'm glad you got it. Now don't tell anybody. It's called the messianic secret to snobby scholar types. Why would he want it to be secret? Well, that's for another day. Right now, it's important that he gets it, that Peter gets it. That seems to be what excites Jesus. I mean, like them, at that time, we live in a world swirling with false religion all around us. There's, there's so much falsehood around. In fact, some people in our time seem content to kind of pick from whatever one needs for one's own spiritual journey as though there is nothing that transcends what I need. I remember being at a winery, Orfila Winery over here by San Pasquale High School. And I was sitting there one day, and uh, there were a couple of gals having a conversation at the table behind me. Now, some would call this eavesdropping, okay? I, I view it as attentive listening. That's the way I do it. So we're sitting there, and these two gals are having a conversation back and forth, and they're talking about church, which, of course, perks my sizable ears up. And I said, 
I wonder what they're saying. And then she goes, she was going on and on about how she loved the pastor of the church. I was like, all right, maybe she was at NBC. You know, let's hear it, let's hear it. And then she says this, and then I knew it wasn't our place. She said, you know why? You know why I love that pastor? I love him because he says that God is whoever is in here. And I felt my heart sink. And then that preacher part of me started to kind of do this. And I was like, oh, don't say anything. Don't say anything, Tim. Don't say anything. And I went up and I went to the bathroom because I said, it's not my business, not whatever. Okay. And it was everything I could do to not stop and just turn around and say, ladies, listen, I'm glad you're on the search. I'm glad you're looking. Okay. But God is not who's in here. The question is, who is God and how do I get him in here? Right. There's a big difference between shaping God in our own image or creating, you know, like the, the God-shaped hole inside of us and then creating a God we think will fill that versus taking the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, you know, the one that's founded in the historic Christian faith, the one we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ who is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and say, now, I want him in here. I want the God who actually exists in here. That somebody, if he is God, if there is a God, he's got to be bigger than whenever my needs are in here. He has to be, or he's not God. What I need is, you know, therapy, not Christianity, if that's the case. What God does in the person and work of Jesus is totally different. It's saying, he says to a, a world that is fearful and, and out of control in a lot of different ways, he says, look at me. Do you want an answer? Here it is. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the people that they compare him to are not bad, just like right here. Who do people say that I am? Elijah, great guy. Jeremiah, swell. John the Baptist. Jesus said there's nobody born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. And yet, none of them are him. None of them are him. So when he does it, that confession of that truth can really be difficult for people in the world in which we're living. You may remember that line from Wicked, the musical, where the Wizard of Oz sings to the Wicked Witch, everybody thinks the truth is fact or reason, but truth is just what everyone agrees on. Really. Truth is just what everybody agrees on. Well, if we think that, then that explains why we're so power hungry, right? Because if I, if I line up the most opinions on one side, then it has to be true. So truth today might be one truth and and tomorrow, there's another truth because more people lined up on this side and voted this way or did this or that. How in the world do you sleep at night in a world where you don't know if you can arm wrestle enough people into your camp to create a God? That's going to be exhausting. See, what, what he does here gives people a reason to actually be bold. When he asks the disciples who they think he is, he's not asking them for their opinion, like, hey, who do you think's gonna win the Super Bowl? He's not asking who they think he is, he's asking whether or not they know who he actually is. See, that's a totally different thing. He knows he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. The question is, do they recognize that? He's not asking, you know, oh, okay, well, if you think I'm okay, then great. You know, maybe I'm the most influential spiritual leader of the day. I'm the, the Dalai Lama of zero B.C. or A.D. He's, no, 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 no. Elijah, nope. Jeremiah, nope. John the Baptist, nope. 
Not this guy. He's totally different. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And that's why the single most important question in the universe, sister or brothers, is this. Who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? That is the most important question in the universe. Who do you say he is? If you want to know if you're part of Christ's church, the question is, who do you say Jesus is? You want to know if you're in, a, in, a, in, a, in an actual Christian church? The, the question becomes, who do we preach Jesus is? Who does the church teach Jesus is? If you want to know if you're ready to be baptized yet, the question is, who do you say Jesus is? Are we a church? The answer to that question is based in the same question. Who do we say Jesus is? That's the question that shapes all of life because if he is the Christ, the son of the living God, I spend my life following him. It means I'm part then of the church. If I'm in him, that also means I'm in the church. And if I'm in the church, and guess what? We collectively, big C church, of which we're a little C part of that big C, okay? We are collectively stronger than hell and the gates of hell can't prevail against us. That question, who do we say he is, shapes all of life. We are those, as Christians, who in the swirling religious soup of the day say, he's the Christ, the son of the living God, that's who he is. And more than anything else, that defines then who we are and how we live our lives, what we proclaim, not just with our mouths, but with our lifestyle, we say it with our mouths, we say it with our lives. Because if, in fact, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then that has implications. If he is the most important thing going in this world, then so are his plans. That means his agenda sets mine. It means that I say with my life, my actions, my words, not my will, but yours be done. The first question of all of life is, who do I say he is? The second is like it. If that's who he is, then who am I? I mean, think about this, sisters and brothers. How can we say that Jesus is the most important thing in our lives if we aren't willing to commit to his will? Or if we're so afraid to experience any inconvenience or any pain or any cost that we can't possibly begin to do his will because we're, we have an allergy to sacrifice. When did the church become that soft, that afraid, that timid? That the most important thing in the world is that it be as cheap as possible, inexpensive. I mean, think about this. We had Halloween here in California. We weren't supposed to, but we did. All right? We had Halloween. And for that, you know, at, at the Spivey house, we had like the, the fatted candy calf was slain. We had candy, the good candy, not the crud, right? I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking we had Twix, we had Kit Kat, we had... We had the stuff that as a kid, you know, you look into the, the thing and you're excited. There's no black licorice or garbage, almond joy, you know, stuff that <laughs> nobody wants almond joy, right? You just kind of pass on almond joy, right? But we wanted to make sure that the kids had something that would be tasty to them, that they would enjoy it. And then you always have those years where maybe you're too busy and you forget to get the candy for the kids and so you pass out cough drops to everybody or something because that's all you have in the house because you didn't think about it, right? I was in my devotional time today, or this week. I was, uh, there's a story in the life of David where he has upset God 
And he's asking that God be kind in his treatment to David and the people. It's in uh, 1 Samuel 24, I believe. 24, 24, I think is the verse I'm about to quote. And anyways, David says, look, if if I'm going to fall into one hand, God's hand or man's, I will take God. Because God is kind and he's gracious and he's just. But I don't want to fall into the hands of angry enemies. And so he goes and he tries to prepare a sacrifice for God. And he goes into, oh, I'll, I'll overstate this, a, a sacrifice 7-Eleven. He goes in where you get the kinds of things that you'd want to sacrifice. And the guy says, oh, here, just take them. And David says, no, 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 I'm paying you for them. He goes, no, take them, take them, it's fine. He goes, no, no, no. And there's 1 Samuel 24, 24. He goes, far be it from me to offer God a sacrifice that costs me nothing. Whoa! That costs me nothing. I mean, you would intentionally choose something costly when you could get it for free? Some of us We'll go out of our way to make sure that the kids who come to our house once a year have the right candy in the pumpkin. But we don't give any consideration to what we're offering God. And we try to find the things on the... We're willing to give God the almond joy, you know. We're willing to say, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what? I got nothing else to do. It's raining outside in Southern California. I can't go to the beach. I can't go to Julian. I can't do this. I can't go to Bates Nut Farm. I can't do whatever because it's raining. So I guess I'll go to church today. Have your almond joy, God. That's not the way the church you hear described here acts, thinks, looks, does, or speaks. Because we follow Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, someone who, when demon-possessed people came out of caves, they saw him and went, "Uh uh-oh, and the demons inside of them trembled and shook. He's the one that says to the storm, shut it. He's the one that says to demons, come out. He tells people, stand up and sit down. He tells the sun when to go up and go down. He tells Satan when to sit down. And they all do it. They all do it. And that's who we follow in our lives and the way that we do things. Far be it from us to offer God something that costs us nothing. We're going to offer him the almond joy for goodness sake. By the way, you're part of the almond joy family. I'm sorry. Um, I don't mean to be hard on you today. But I just hear this and I go, man, if that's true, if, if what Jesus says there is true, and if what Peter says about Jesus is true, then that means what I'm a part of, I don't need to be fearful. I shouldn't hold anything back because nothing can stop us. It means when it comes to mission, okay? I I got nothing else more important in this world because there's nothing more important than him. And the church, from the beginning, was his plan A. He really has no plan B. So if God needs to be my plan A, and if I have a plan B, it probably means he's not my plan A. Because God doesn't do second. He does God. He's not a hobby. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, when you get up out of this place today and you start going about your life, my hope for you this week is that you're going to take what's said here, realize you're part of this army of God, 
spiritually that is walking up and down the streets of Escondido or San Diego or wherever you're, you're coming in from, and you can do it with boldness. You can do it whether you're at work or whether you're at home or whatever, that you know that the Christ, the Son of the living God, isn't just watching you from a distance. He's alive in here. He's in you. And that's why we don't have this spirit of, of timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. And so when Jesus makes this promise, it changes Changes everything. I mean, I can remember, thank God, I mean, I still get afraid of things from time to time, but I can remember being afraid of things, you know, that now I don't even give a second thought to because of the development that God has shown me. He's shown me so many different, miraculous, amazing things. When I, because as a pastor, you get a front row seat to the activity of God. You get a front row seat to the activity of the devil too. But you also realize, you know what? The activity of God is just a lot stronger. You know, it's if, if you put them next to each other and said, okay, there's going to be a fight. Who's the mar money on? That's an easy one for me. I've watched God transform the wickedest, most self-centered, evil people into people who become leaders in churches down the road and do a miraculous, amazing job of that. I've watched people who once were addicts become pastors. I've watched people that, you know, have the transformation. They've, they've left all that junk behind and now they're marching strongly forward. That's what he wants for you, sister and brother. So the question then becomes, what would it be, what would my life look like if I was actually not afraid of anything? If I wasn't afraid of how I'd look, what people would think of me? I mean, we don't, sisters and brothers, just have to let life happen to us. We can let the Holy Spirit happen to life. We can walk in power or we can cower. So the idea is that hell should be afraid, not us. I love studying warrior cultures. There's a great little book called The Warrior Ethos by Stephen Pressfield, I'd commend it to you. Uh, we did a ser sermon series using that title uh, at NBC maybe three years ago, just because I love the title. Um, but they talk about the Spartans and the, the Greeks under Alexander the Great and these different warrior cultures and the mentality that they had when they were facing their enemies. Pressfield writes, the Spartans do not ask how many are the enemy, but where are they? Imagine that. What if the question was not, how big is the challenge? But God, where is the challenge? See the difference? It's not how much does it cost, it's how much can I give. See the difference? One shrinks back, the other has everything on and is walking around ready to charge the gate. And not with a polite little door knocker tap, not that. But something that they should be able to hear us a thousand feet away coming in. See, that's a clearer picture of what we're supposed to be, unafraid, fierce in battle, forged by a common warrior ethos, if you will, to please the one who enlisted us. So again, we don't, we don't ask, okay, how big is the challenge, and to make our decision based on, hey, do we think we can meet it ourselves? We ask God, where is the challenge that you would like us to meet? I mean, it's amazing to watch the army of God marching together, displaying their courage that their Savior showed before them. 
each wearing this gleaming impenetrable armor of God. We are the ones against whom the gaze of hell cannot prevail. Uh, a couple other quick stories, and then the sermon is yours. Uh, Spartans, again, they get to this crossroads, and there's some travelers that had come through, and the travelers say to the Spartans as they come up, oh boy, you guys sure are lucky. There was a band of bandits that just came through here. You're so lucky that you came after they left, and they say, no, they were lucky. <laughs> I, just, I love the mentality, courage, valor. That if there's something in this city, in San Diego, around the world, that needs doing, our hands go in the air first. In uh, 480 BC, the Persian king Xerxes, you may remember him from Esther, two million soldiers, the historians say, against 4,000, Leonidas, uh, is the captain of those 4,000. So it's 2 million versus 4,000. They come to Leonidas at Thermopylae, and there there's an actual monument to this little event, but he goes to Leonidas and he says, Leonidas, throw down your weapons. And they say, Molan Labe, come and take them. <laughs> right. When our church, uh, when COVID first happened, everybody's on lockdown. Uh, we had a decision to make, right? And it was scary. We didn't know what we were facing. We didn't know what this thing was and, you know, how deadly it was going to be, how fast it was going to spread. We just knew everybody was shutting down. But God kind of laid a, a burden on us for these business owners out here because imagine putting your whole life into something like that and having your livelihood and then have something like that just wipe it out, just like that. Can't sell food anymore. Can't. And so our church, our little church, who was already trying to figure out, okay, how do we... How do we build the grand project and then make the shift to online on camera in a studio? We're already, we don't have a home at the time. We're, we're, we're bobbing around. We had just had a, a week or two down the street here at 355. Uh, and how do we help these people? It would have been easy for us to just say, you know what, we'll get to that later. Right now, we're going to circle the wagons and we're going to make sure that we're taken care of. We didn't do that because we didn't feel like that's what God wanted us to do. We felt like God had put a burden on us for those folks. So what we did, you may remember this if you were here, we got up and, and uh, on a weekly basis when we went online, uh, I would get with the business owner, one of the restaurants here on Grand, and I would interview them and I would say, hey, tell us about your place, et cetera, et cetera. I would introduce them to the church and then I would say, hey, on Monday nights, we're all eating here. So come on and do it. So that gave us a chance, first of all, the church could see each other in an era where we were all on lockdown, but you could go get food. So we actually could see each other, eyes only, right? But we could go see each other. I think we did a dozen businesses. There's one that says, you are the only reason we are still afloat. There are others who would very clearly say, I mean, when the George Floyd protests were going on, we helped board up windows and stuff. When it would have been easy to say, oh no, could be dangerous, we're gonna shrink back and we're gonna go, everybody just be careful. I think we did a dozen of those, of those videos for people and, and helped keep those businesses afloat. Now, it would have been easy for the church to say, hey, you know what, we all need to hang on to our money right now because we don't know what's going to happen economically. So I'm not going out to eat at all. I'm going to sit here and eat mac and cheese for the next nine months. 
Um, sounds good to some kids probably, but that you get tired of it eventually, right? So you, you do this, but they, the good that we were able to do because we weren't afraid. If you don't see anything else in this project, this place we're in right now, I hope you see God's Spirit working courageously in the lives of the church because this thing, this was no sipping tea, man. This was a dangerous, difficult voyage. But look what God's done. Come on, man. Come on. It's all right. If you want to clap, clap, man. This is church, not a golf tournament. We can do this. Now listen, okay, today, wherever you're at in this world, and we're going to go have some brunch, we're going to praise God a little bit more, and we're going to take communion here in just a second, all right? I want you to take courage, sisters and brothers. Don't listen to the lie that says, oh, there is no tomorrow. Don't listen to the lie that says, oh, the church, the bride of Christ. Yeah, I remember hearing something about that a long time ago. I remember when they used to be relevant. I remember when they used to have some impact. Don't buy that lie. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, and if Christ is in you, you're also part of the church. And if you're part of the church, then you are stronger than hell. We are stronger than hell, literally. So we're going to celebrate that now. Bread and cup. When you came in, you should have gotten a little bag. Uh, we do that to uh, keep you all safe. Not because we're terrified, but because we just want to be wise. Bread and cup, if you're not familiar with communion, we do this every Sunday at New Vintage. We always have. Uh, and I, it, it's a symbol of the body, the bread, and the cup being a symbol of the blood of Christ. And if you want to see courage in action, watch him. Watch him as he goes to the cross. Watch hell tremble as that, as that stone starts rolling away. If you need one, put your hand in the air. We'll get you one. We got one down here in front. Uh, Mark or Curry. Yeah. But right now I'm going to offer this prayer and I want you to feel emboldened and, and, and give encouraged by this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, we stand here on this corner, this pivotal corner here in a great city. And in a world, Father, that is just soaked and marinated in fear on a daily basis. We ask that your promise, that you would build your church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it would be found true today in ways that defy our wildest dreams. Father, for the people who have helped make this journey a reality, the people, the architects and the, the lenders and the, the volunteers and the staff and all of the people who have been in this battle together, Father, and continue to advance and charge the gates of hell, Father, we give you thanks. And I pray that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would be in each person here, that they would walk forward from this place in boldness and in victory, knowing that, Father, that if you were for them, no one can stand against them. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.